Hey friends, it's DGS on DHP. And today, and for the next few weeks, we're going to be thinking about evangelism, just as we are as a whole church on Sunday night. And so this is a recording of Todd's address from a few weeks ago, where he started us off thinking about the goal of evangelism. Next week, we plan to release Michael's talk on what is the gospel and so on. We'll also have some guests coming up to help us think through evangelism in terms of a conversation that we'll have here in the studio. But until then, Merry Christmas. Hope to see you guys on Christmas Eve. God bless. We're going to think tonight about the goal of evangelism. I'm going to define evangelism for you. It's actually fairly simple. Evangelism is the proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has died for sin, rose again to reconcile us to God and to defeat the devil, thereby ushering in the kingdom of God. It, it includes an, an explanation of how Christ died for sin and, and how one can be reconciled, namely through repentance and faith in Jesus. But I suspect that you already knew that, right? I think you already knew that before you came here. And so my, my burden here in the next 25 minutes or so is to convince you of your essential role in evangelism and, and what the goal of our evangelism ought to be. And to do that, I have a series of P words for us, but it's really about persuasive proclamation, persuasive proclamation, and then we'll throw in a few others to, to nuance this a bit, perspective and privilege and passion and, and words like that. So, so the, the, the goal of evangelism, proclamation, proclamation. We're going to start with that, proclamation. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, Paul writes to his, his, his young disciple Timothy one last time, as far as we know. He says, but as for you, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Uh, Paul instructs this young pastor to do the work of an evangelist. And so I take it by doing that, he would be fulfilling his ministry, at least in part. And the work that he's to do, the work of an evangelist is, is literally in the name. It's in the name. The, uh, to, to be an evangelist, after all, is to share the gospel. It is to be a herald of the king. The gospel is good news in the Greek that... The Apostle Paul wrote in that the, the word for good news is euangelion. It's a good message, literally. And, and if you read the Gospels, if you've read the Gospels before, I take it most of you have, hopefully all of you, multiple times, you know that announcing the good news of the kingdom was a priority to Jesus. Luke 4.43, Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And so the goal of evangelism is literally bound up in the name. It's the proclamation, the, the sharing, the, the speaking of the gospel. It's good newsing, if we were to turn it into a participle. And it is not, nor has it ever been, nor can it ever be, wordless. It's a good message. There, there's this adage falsely attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. I think that's just sheer pious nonsense. 
because the only way that that's true is if we recognize that it's always necessary to use words. It's all, there's no such thing as a wordless gospel because it is the good news, an announcement of the message of Jesus. And so following the, the Apostle Paul, we, we, we ought to then, therefore, if, if the goal of evangelism is just what it is, to proclaim the gospel, we should be praying for opportunities, pray for open doors, uh, opportunities, a chance to share the gospel. You can see Paul ask for that in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. We ought to be praying for courage and for zeal and, 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 and wisdom. We, we see that, say, like in Acts chapter 23, verse 11. Why? Why ought we to pray for these things? So that we'll have opportunities, and when the opportunities present themselves, we'll have the courage to proclaim the gospel, to rehearse the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Any chance that we get, I don't know about you, if you've ever prayed for opportunities to share the gospel, uh, God answers that prayer. Honestly, I think part of the answer to that prayer is he just opens our eyes to the opportunities that he always puts before us. But there's something about when you're praying for something, and I'm not saying this is like self-fulfilling prophecy. I, I think the spirit of God says, Finally, finally, you're praying for opportunities because I've been putting a bunch of it in your path, and now I can just say, hey, now's the chance. Hey, now's the chance. And then praying for courage, swallow your fear, and share the gospel. So the goal of evangelism is proclamation. But it's not merely proclamation. I'm going I'm to modify it a little bit and say that it's persuasive proclamation. Persuasive proclamation. But before we can talk about what persuasion actually might be, we need to do some groundwork to get there first. And so here I want, to, I want us to think about the, the, the perspective and privilege of evangelism. We need a, the right perspective when we share the gospel with people or, or, or when we're even thinking about sharing the gospel with someone. We need to think of it contrary to what I said before about it being terrifying, we need to think of it as a privilege. For whatever reason, God has given to humanity the privilege of proclaiming the gospel of his son. As you work your way through the New Testament, you study the narratives in the book of Acts, or you look into the letters of the apostles, it becomes evident quickly that human proclamation is the means God has established for his word to get out. Now, I suppose, I suppose that we could question the wisdom of that, or at least we could be tempted to. And, and, and as I look at myself, and as I look at it, all of you, I'm tempted to think that way. God, you actually put this into our hands? That's your plan? Wouldn't there be more effective ways of getting the word out? I'm sure some ideas come to mind. Angels are certainly believable. Perhaps writing the gospel in the stars, that would have been a good way. And yet God in his wisdom has said, no, I'm giving the message to you to share with others. Consider the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch that's recorded in the book of Acts. In the narrative, all, all sorts of supernatural interventions take place. There's an angel who actually shows up to commission Philip to go to the eunuch. The Spirit of God then gives further guidance once Philip arrives on the scene. And afterward, the Spirit of God mysteriously transports Philip away. 
Now, that is a lot of bizarre, irregular, amazing, supernatural activity, isn't it? And we might be tempted to say, with all that supernatural invention, I mean, heavens, there's already an angel on the scene. I mean, Moses probably would have said, send someone else, like this angel, right? Like this angel. But Philip doesn't do that. Philip doesn't do that. I mean, the Lord could have done that. The Lord could have even appeared to the eunuch himself. He did that once, at least on record. He did that with the Apostle Paul, right? Wouldn't a special appearance by Jesus himself have been more persuasive, more effective to the Ethiopian eunuch? Instead, we're told that in Acts chapter 8, verse 35, after all of this supernatural activity takes place, Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture that the Ethiopian was puzzling over. In in the Lord's providence, it was his plan to use the redeemed human Philip for the important task of gospel proclamation. And we should also note the happy ending. The eunuch believed the good news about Jesus, requested baptism, and went on his way rejoicing, is what the text says. And then Philip himself stays busy. You look at Acts chapter 8, verse 40. Philip continued his ministry from Azotus to Caesarea, evangelizing all the towns. That is, proclaiming the gospel. Gospeling, good newsing, all those towns. And in each and every case in the scriptures, the good news of the gospel, the announcement that Jesus is Lord, that he's come and died for sin to redeem mankind and defeat the devil, that he's risen from the dead, that he's coming again in judgment and glory, and that by repenting, And believing in the Lord Jesus, you can be saved in each and every case. The incredible privilege of proclaiming the gospel is granted to humans, even when there are angels flying all over the place. Again, for for, for whatever reason, the privilege of making this good news public and understandable, it's been granted to people like you and me. This is how it was during the times of the apostles, and it is how it is now. Even when God does something amazing, witness the dreams that are being given to Buddhists and Muslims around the world, almost every time it's go ask somebody about Jesus and they will tell you. That's the message of the dream. Now, lest we think that evangelism is entirely up to us, we have to remember that it is God who saves, right? God is the one who saves, not us. And this is made very clear when Paul was on his first missionary journey. He had stopped in Antioch and Pisidia. After preaching the gospel in the midst of a ton of hostility, the Jewish leadership there attempted to turn the hearts of the Jewish people against the gospel. So Paul then turns basically away from the Jewish people And he turns to the Gentiles and he quotes Isaiah chapter 49, verse six. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. It's a strange passage to quote because it's actually a very messianic prophecy. It's a prophecy about Jesus himself. And yet there's something in the proclamation of the gospel where Paul can take this statement of you will be a light to the Gentiles. That's a messianic promise, and he applies it to himself. 
Now, if we looked at the entire verse that Paul quotes, it gets even more fun. In Isaiah 49, God says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. See, God has made promises to Israel that he's going to redeem them. But as he looks on it, and so he, here's where the privilege part is for us. As, as he looks on it, he goes, you know what? It's too small a thing for me just to keep my promises to Israel. I'm going to include a bunch of other folk too. Because in God's economy, that brings greater honor, greater glory to him. The more people who are saved, the more that he can expand his promises, the better. And he's given us this message to share with others. So the, the privilege of evangelism is being involved in this God-honoring task of proclaiming this good news where God has said, it is too small a thing that I go just to this group. I want it to go out there to everyone. And I'm giving you the privilege of being able to share that message. Evangelism increases the glory and the reputation of God. And we get to play a role in that. That should be one of our motivations to honor God. And the result, the result of Paul's proclamation as he turns to the Gentiles was this. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now note the language there. As many has been appointed to eternal life. All those who had been appointed, all those who had been elected, chosen, they believed the gospel. Now, we're not told of the numbers who didn't believe. They heard the message and didn't believe. But I suspect, if things are like how they are, like all the time, <laughs> most of the time, that there were probably more people who didn't believe than did believe, right? But what we are told is that those who had been elected to salvation, those who had been appointed, they believed. It's right there in the text, Acts 13, 48, which brings us to this difficult doctrine of election, and it's so hard to wrap our arms around at time, but, but it is referenced here. And in referencing it, it is actually an encouragement to evangelize. It's an encouragement to share the gospel because God is the one who saves. We are the herald. We're the good news bringers. God is the one who does all the work. Our part in evangelism is simply to tell. And God will save, we can be certain of this, God will save every single person he intends to save through our sharing of the gospel. We can count on that. Historically, the doctrine of election, as difficult as it is for some people, historically that has been a great encouragement to share the gospel because we recognize that God is actually in the business of saving people and he's going to use our paltry efforts, our trembling efforts in sharing the gospel with people. Be encouraged. God will use you because he's the one who saves, not you. Now, so what's our part? Here's another P word, a part. What's our part in evangelism? Well, to, to, say, that our, to say that we even have a part in evangelism begs the question of, of, of whether we have a part, but, but this is actually the case and, and, and because what we play is a part. 
and it's only a part. And this should be welcome news for us because I do think that it takes a lot of the pressure off. That's not one of the P words I was thinking about, but if you want to add that to the list, you can, I guess. Uh, see, God has given us this very crucial role. The Lord has given that to us. And he, but, but he, in fact, does all of the heavy lifting. God the Father has decreed that some will be saved, and he has sent his son. God the Son incarnated and was crucified on a Roman cross. And it was that same son, Jesus Christ, who got up from the dead. It's the sovereign God who creates opportunities to share the gospel. It is the spirit who empowers and enables our witness. It is the spirit who regenerates, who convicts, who enables repentance, belief, and conversion. We don't do any of those things. We don't do any of those things, nor should we even try. That is, as evangelists. At one point, you repented and believed the gospel, and you continue to repent and believe the gospel. But I'm talking about our role in evangelism. We don't do any of those things. Our job is to share a message. That's it. That's it. We don't do those things that God does, nor should we even try. They are way beyond our pay grade. God has them covered. They're in pretty good hands, right? Pretty good hands. Our task is relatively simple. When you compare it to all this other stuff, we proclaim, we share. Ours is a, if you think about it, ours is a relatively minor role in that grand scheme of salvation. But our role is one that we can hold ourselves accountable for. That's why we are even talking about the goal of evangelism, right? I can't have goals that someone will convert or repent or believe. I can have hopes and desires for that, but I can't have goals like that. But I, can, I, I can't hold myself accountable for someone else believing or repenting, but I can hold myself accountable for things, questions like this. Was I faithful? Our role has nothing to do with ensuring results. We share, we proclaim, we, we do so as persuasively as we possibly can. But God does the work. Even in proclamation, our role is not entirely ours. Our role is crucial, but individually it's only partial. We have lots of help in that part. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. In the context... Church in Corinthians, or the church in Corinth is dividing over loyalties to, to different persons. And, and Paul wrote this. He said, What then is Apollos? One of those like super personalities from the past. What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's co-workers. Which is, that's a pretty amazing thing to say, right? We are co-workers with God. When you share the gospel of someone, you are co-laboring with God himself. Each person, Paul, Apollos, you, me, we have our own role. And in the context of one particular person, say, that we're sharing the gospel with, in, in, that, in, that, in the context of that person coming to Christ, no one, in terms of evangelism, really goes it alone. Not most of the time, anyway. Notice Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
And what's more, it stands to reason then that there can be multiple planters and multiple waterers, but only one God who gives the growth. And so do your job. Do your job. There's a really famous uh, YouTube video. I'm not sure I would recommend it because there's lots of profanity in it, but, um, but, I'm about to pro- but I'm about to recommend it to you. Um, now, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about it. I'll tell you about it. Where the, uh, the defensive coordinator from the Seattle Seahawks gathers the defense and he just yells at them and he, and, and he just yells at them over and over again, do your job, do your job. Why? Because all of the defensive players had been trying to cover for everyone else and do everyone else's job, and it had broken down the defense. And it's like, we don't need you to do the cornerback's job, Mr. Linebacker. We don't need you to be the safety. We don't need you to do the, the lineman's job. Do your job. And he just went and just do your job. And he told each and every single person that. When you try to do everybody else's job, kind of ruins the whole thing. You have one job. You have one job. Share the gospel. God will do everything else. God will do everything else. So do your job. Do your job. Even if you don't feel you're particularly good at evangelism, like someone like me, right? (laughs) Do your job. Now, we know, we know, don't we, that evangelism is a spiritual gift, Evangelism is a spiritual gift. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He, Jesus, gave, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And, and maybe if you're like me, you don't feel like you're one of those gifted evangelists. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you don't just feel that way. Maybe you know you're not one of those guys. That, that would be someone like me, right? In, in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, there was a Christian in Caesarea who was so good at evangelism that he was called Philip the Evangelist. No one is ever going to nickname me Todd the Evangelist. No one. No one would, would ever do that. Now, you've probably met people who you're pretty convinced have the gift of evangelism. I know many of you, if you were here before Michael came, you met someone who I'm convinced had the gift of evangelism, our former pastor, Gary Dozier. He's one of the most gifted evangelists I've ever met. I, w- I would go eat lunch with him, and he, he, he would share the gospel with every waiter and waitress and store clerk. That, and, and it was just ridiculous because he didn't even say anything that jaw-dropping awesome. They would just end up asking him to share the gospel with them. And it's like, that never happens to me. And I was even nicer to the waiter than you are. How, how is this even possible? And yet I watched it over and over and over again. So, all right, so Gary has the gift of evangelism. Todd doesn't. I'm, I'm pretty confident of those two things. But I still have to do my job. And my job as a follower of Jesus is share the gospel. It's my job. It's not my job to share the gospel because I'm a seminary prof. It's my job to share the gospel because I'm just like you, a follower of Christ. And I'm not particularly good at it. Not particularly good at it, but I try. And (laughs) there have been so many times where I have shared the gospel with an individual over and over and over again. And then they'll come to me later on and say, oh, I was just with so-and-so. And and he shared the gospel with me. Good news. I believed. And and I'm like, oh, that's great. (laughs) Thanks so much. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. I'm serious. That has happened multiple, multiple times to me. And and it's like, no, that's great. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. 
I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled about that uh, whenever that happens. Why? Because some people plant, some people water, some people harvest, some people are closers. Todd is not. Clearly, I'm not a closer. But that's okay. That's okay with me now. <laughs> and, and, and it should be okay with you too. should be okay with you too. Uh, Christian, every conversation that you have... Every act of kindness done in Jesus' name, every identification with Christ that you make, every invitation that you give to someone to go to church, every time you take your heart into your own hands to speak of Jesus, you are participating in some small but significant way in God's divine plan. Of course, it's a divine plan if it's God's, right? And that plan might include bringing someone to Christ. What an incredible privilege. God does the work, right? We just need to do our job. And so what I'm going to say here is do your job, but do it as persuasively as you can. Do it as persuasively as you can. Now, I've already said God does all the work, so it's not our task. It's not our goal. It's not, we can't hold ourselves responsible for converting someone, but we can desire that right? And so share the gospel, do your job, but be as persuasive as you can. Here's, here's Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We persuade others. He goes on to say, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, notice the language there, implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God working together with him. Isn't that awesome? Working together with him. Then we appeal to you. Again, the language appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says in favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Th those words, you heard them, right? Persuade, implore, appeal. So what does that mean? We proclaim the gospel, but it's not just mere factoids that we're disinterested in. We care. We care, right? So we, we, we listen to people. We seek to be winsome. We don't have to know all of the answers to every question a person might have, but we seek to answer them as best we can. We, we seek to be as persuasive as we can. Recall Paul's interaction with King Agrippa, you know, towards the end of the book of Acts. Paul's talking to King, King Agrippa, who's, who's Jewish, right? King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? He asks. And look at Paul's response. Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. Well, except for these chains, Right? You see the heart of Paul there. He's moved by compassion. 
There, there was a passion for his evangelism that I think was initiated by that remarkable experience of his own conversion and then purified through sanctification. Paul cared. He cared. The, the best evidence of this, I think, is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. In that passage, Paul's thinking through his own ministry experience. He reflects on the opposition he encountered, and he had this to say, they displease God. So, so here he's thinking about these people who are getting in the way of him sharing the gospel. They displease God and are hostile to everyone by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. You notice the urgency there? Someone is keeping us from sharing the gospel. That's going to keep people from getting saved. That's what he said. Now, Paul understands how election works. I mean, he's read the book of Romans and Calvin's Institutes. He gets that, right? But from his perspective, if he doesn't preach the gospel to them, then they can't be saved. And notice that he doesn't rationalize away his inability to preach the gospel to the Thessalonians. He doesn't say, well, they must not be elect. He doesn't allude to some plan B where God sends someone else to do the job. For Paul, if he doesn't preach the gospel to them, then they can't be saved. Now, does Paul understand that, that God may have someone else in mind to preach the gospel to them? Oh, sure. Of course. Of course he does. But there's an existential urgency to his evangelism. He knows that if the gospel is not preached, then there is no hope that people can believe and be saved. And I think we ought to have that same gospel urgency here at Henson. You see, the church is God's plan for evangelism, the spread of the gospel. That, it's not plan B. The church is not plan B. Honestly, the church is not even plan A. It's just the plan. And there is no other. There is no other. In the eternal counsel of God, once the decision to send the Son to atone for sins of the world was made, the question I suppose would be, well, now how am I going to get that message out? And the answer is not Billy Graham television events. It's not crew and the four spiritual laws. It's not evangelism explosion or child evangelism fellowship. The answer from the throne of heaven is the church. Manifested how? local church, like Hinson, like you and me. Remember, evangelism is the proclamation of the gospel, as persuasive as we can make it. It's not arguing someone into the kingdom, or worse, certainly not manipulating people into conversion, because we can't do that anyway. You're not responsible for conversions. You are responsible, though, for faithful proclamation. So you need to present the gospel in such a manner that a person knows that he or she must repent of their sins, confess that Christ is Lord, believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, invite people to respond to the gospel. But that can be done simply. Evangelism is an incredible privilege. It should be our priority. It must be our passion. Amen? Amen. Amen.